Today I will be reading from Galatians 1, 6 through 12, from the NIV. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And we have, as we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach to you is not from human, of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If we were to uh, take a step back and look at the big picture of this letter in Galatians uh, and see the forest instead of just a few trees, here's what we'd see, that, that this letter is all about the gospel. In that text that was just read, the gospel is mentioned five times, that word, gospel, five times. And throughout this letter, we get the idea that this gospel thing is the basic, essential, core truth of Christianity. It is Christianity. If we don't have the gospel, we don't have Christianity. And the thing about it is that this letter is written to believers. It's not written to people who don't know Jesus. This is written to people who believe. It's all about the gospel, and yet it's written for believers. And one thing that that tells us is that no matter what stage you're at, whether you've just accepted Jesus or you've been walking with him for uh, decades, the thing about it is, even as believers, we all need the gospel. Don't miss that. We have a tendency sometimes to think that the gospel is the way that we begin to follow Jesus, and there's, then there's advanced stuff. And so after we know the gospel, then we can move on to the advanced stuff. And Paul is going to say in this letter, no, the gospel is the advanced stuff. The gospel is always the way that we grow as Christians. And so we need it as believers every day in our lives. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. I want you to look at the language here. And this is, this is amazing. Paul starts out, he says, I am astonished. If we were to convert that into 2017 speak, it would be, I don't even. Really? Right? It would be, if I'm texting it, it would be OM small g, because that's what Paul would use, small g. OM small g. Some of you got it. Thank you. Okay. Uh, verses 8 and 9. Look at, look at what he says there. Let them be accursed. He uses this word, accursed. And it's a word that means that it's what happens when somebody is, something is given over to the wrath of God. What does God do with something that deserves his condemnation? What does God do with someone who is alienated and rebelled against him because of sin in their life? And there has no, there's been no payment for that sin. There's one word that we use in the, in the Bible. Uh, Jesus teaches us this word, this it's a place, and it's reserved for those people who are under God's wrath, for those people who are cursed. 
It's called hell. Yes, everybody say it with me. Hell. Thank you. I'm glad everybody said it. Now I can say it throughout the sermon and nobody's, you know, weirded out. Okay. All right. Because I have a little hard time saying that. Okay. But Paul doesn't. Let them, this is his way of saying, let them go to hell. I have a hard time saying that. Paul doesn't. What's going on? Why the anger? Why the tone? Why the frustration? What in the world is going on that could evoke this kind of bristle in Paul? And what's happening with the people in the Galatian churches? And there are three things that we can quickly identify with three words in verses 6 and 7. The words, I'll I'll go through quick. The first is uh, deserting. Sorry, deserting. It's a military word. It just means they went AWOL, right? Absent without leave. Uh, when you run away from your promise, when you run away from your oath, uh, you go AWOL. You, you desert. And uh, people run away from things all the time in our culture, do they not? They run away from marriages. They run away from jobs and families and teams and even the military. They say, I know I said that I would do this. I committed to do this, but now things are different and they desert. And that's where Paul says the Galatians are. You are deserting the gospel that I preached to you. Here's the second thing that is happening. The word is different. The word is different. They're deserting and then they're turning to a different gospel. And Paul is quick to qualify. When you turn to a different gospel, what you're really doing doing is turning to no gospel at all because there's no such thing as a different gospel. Any other gospel is no gospel at all. If you add anything to it, it ceases to be that thing. It's kind of like a vacuum. Go back to your science days. What's a vacuum? A vacuum is a space that is completely absent of any air, right? And if you add just a smidge of air to that vacuum, it ceases to be a vacuum. You can't say, well, I have 99% vacuum. You either have a vacuum or you don't, depending on whether there's air present or not. And the gospel is like that. If you add anything to it, it ceases to be the gospel. So you're deserting and you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. And the third word is distort. You are distorting the gospel. Some of your translations have, you're perverting the gospel. And it's a great Greek word. It's metastrepho. Everybody say meta and strepho. Strepho. Meta means with, right? Strepho means twist. And so literally this word is with a twist. And we're not talking about gymnastics or anything like that. We're talking about the gospel. And what they're doing to the gospel is they're they're twisting it. They're turning it inside out. Another good word and a way to think about it is to reverse. They are reversing the gospel. And that's very helpful because when you come to the gospel, the order matters. The order of the gospel always matters. And here's the correct order. I'm going to give it to you on the screen. The correct order of the gospel is this, that I am justified, I am made right through Christ. Because of what Christ has done, I am made right in the sight of God. I am justified. And that justification leads to doing right. Because I am made right in God's eyes because of what Jesus has done, now I can live into that and I can do right. And the fancy theological word there is sanctification. And so I am made right so that I can do right. The problem is that in churches like ours, and let's name what we are, we are a conservative Bible belt, Bible preaching church, 
right? We love this book. We open it up every Sunday and we, we say, what's in there for us to learn about Jesus? And the easy thing for us to do in our setting is to reverse the order, to get the gospel out of order instead of I am made right so that I can do right, we begin to say, I do right so that I can be made right. And when that twist is made, that kind of reversal, our lives begin to take a certain shape and they begin to look a certain way. We begin to draw assurance by being super sincere in our faith because we want to be assured that God likes us, right? So we cling to experiences that point to God being pleased with us, and we chase our performance. We, we keep scorecards every day of the good things I did and the bad things I did. I commend my ability to avoid disobedience, and, and we are devastated when, when we fail in that effort to do good things. We're devastated when somebody else fails to live up to those good standards, especially if those Failures involve one of the huge big sins on our list, right? We run this path so that we can convince ourselves that we're right with God because if I do enough, then God will accept me. I do right to be made right. That's, Paul says, the wrong way to look at it. It's twisted, it's perverted, it's inside out, it's reversed. And it's easy to see why. He says, normally this path, what it does, it leads us to radical insecurity about our standing before God. How do we really know that we're right with God? Because we've never, we, know, we, we never know if we've done enough. We're always worried. Have I measured up enough? Have I done enough? Am I holy enough? Am I righteous enough? Martin Luther writes in one of his commentaries that he was disgusted at God at this point. When he, when he, because this is the way he was living. He said, God, why do you give me rules that I cannot keep? Ugh. It was before he found grace. And that insecurity in him played out in pride and it showed itself in defensiveness and criticism of others. It'll do the same thing with us. Did you read your Bible today? Well, I was busy. I had other things going on. Just just asking. Okay. In short, when we live this way, when we twist the gospel, we have to find other people. We have to keep finding other people to throw bricks at in order to prove to ourselves that we're better, that we're following Jesus more astutely than they are, because it's the only measuring stick we have. There's no assurance. And this isn't a game. I mean, if you go down this path, it begins to get really serious really quickly. When we reverse it this way, I do right so that I can be made right. Paul says it's no longer Christianity. This idea that I can do good, and if I'm sorry enough, and if I'm sincere enough in my repentance, if I really work my heart into some sort of spiritual condition, then God will reward me. Paul says, that's no different than any other religion. We talked about this last week. Every other religion says, keep reaching up to God, and maybe one day you'll reach high enough, and he'll take your hand. Christianity is the only religion that says, you can't do that here I'm going to reach down to you, God says. I'm going to rescue you. And you can see why Paul has this anger, this tone, because these dear people are taking hold of a gospel that's not the gospel, and it's leading them down a path of danger. So that's what they're doing. They're reversing the order, which adds to um, Jesus' work. It adds our work to Jesus' work. 
in order to gain a right standing with God. And also a case could be made that they probably weren't aware that they were doing these things. After all, they're church people. This letter is written to Christians. This letter is written to people in pews just like you are today. And they're good people. They're doing good things. But they're doing them for the wrong reasons. And so Paul's angst. That's what was happening. Why was it happening? Why are they doing these things? Maybe even unaware that they're doing, unaware of the implications. Look at verse 7. He says, there are some who trouble you. Some who trouble you. The English word is trouble that we have in our uh, translations, but the, the Greek word has this sense of, who are you letting boss you around as if you don't have any other options? Stop letting these people boss you around. They're shaking your allegiance. These voices are throwing you into confusion. They're coming and knocking on your door and they're trying to knock your house down. And the people that are doing this are the teachers, the agitators. We talked about last week how the Galatian churches were started. Paul started them. He said, here's Jesus, here's the gospel. And he started these churches and then he moved on. And in Paul's absence, some other teachers came in and they started saying, hey, we love Paul, we love Jesus, but if you want to be a real Christian, you're going to have to become Jewish. You're going to have to start eating the right way and obeying the right laws and doing the right things on special holy days. That's the real gospel. And so it became Jesus plus something else. Paul says, that's who's in your ear. They're bossing you. You're letting them confuse you. You're letting them twist the gospel. Now, we are not really different, are we? We've always got somebody in our ear. Um, this. How many times, just, just today, just today, how many times has this bugged you, right? Was it uh, an app that popped up, hey, remember this? Or was it a calendar appointment? Or was it a spouse texting you, hey, where are you? Are we going to go to church today? Was it a, was it a Facebook um, post? Was it a Twitter feed? Was it an Instagram picture? Once in a great while, we'll even get phone calls on these things. But we ignore those because we know they're scams. Did you know that the President of the United States has the ability to instantly push messages to any smartphone regardless of whether you want them or not? Isn't that amazing? It was began under uh, President Bush. It's called the Wireless Emergency Alert System. And uh, I, got, I just got to say, I don't think it's ever been used. But given our current president and the fact that he loves to tweet, I'm just saying that message is probably going to come, whether you want it or not, right? Donald Trump is going to be in your ear. Can you imagine none of that distraction? None of those voices. There is one place in the United States where that's actually possible. If you start in Washington, D.C., and you drive west, there is um, a zone. It's 13,000 square miles and it is a zone of radio silence. It's called the National Quiet Zone. National Radio Quiet Zone. Because there's a radio antenna there that is susceptible to any waves in the atmosphere. And so they have banned all things that create waves. And so residents in the quiet zone live very differently than us. They don't have any mobile phones. They don't have microwave ovens. They don't have wireless doorbells. I don't know about remotes, but could you imagine having to actually get up and change the channel like we used to do? 
terrible would that be? One resident said this, we can access the internet the same as anyone. The difference is that when I leave my desk, the internet doesn't follow me. He says, when I watch a soccer game, I look across the field and every parent's on that field is watching the kids play soccer. Nobody's looking at their phone. Nobody's worrying about that. Sometimes the way through the noise is just to cut it off. And Paul says to these Galatian people, you have people in your ears that you're going to have to cut off if certain things are true. And I'm going to point you again to three words. And there's some surprises here. These are the voices that are in the Galatian people's ears. First are the agitators. Um, We've already talked about those, and we could just label those the other people in our lives. For the Galatians, it was the teachers that have come in. We're going to call them agitators. For us, it just could be the other voices around us, right? Um, And they are already in your ear. But even more than that, Paul says, you're going to have some authority figure voices in your ear. We're going to call those the apostles. Look at verse 8. He says, even if we start preaching to you. In other words, I'm going to be in your ear from time to time. I'm a voice that's going to be there. Here's the third voice, the voice of the angels. Verse 8, he says, maybe even an angel would come and speak to you. And we're going to label this experience. Maybe you're going to have some experiences in life. I mean, think about an angel popping up in front of you. You'd remember that, right? If you had a discussion with an angel, you would give extreme weight to an episode like that. You'd, you'd listen. You'd remember that. And these are the potential voices in your ears at all times. You have the culture around you that's trying to, to get in. You have the people that you respect and you look up to, the authority figures in your life that, you, that want to speak into your life. And you have the experiences that you have on a daily basis that are teaching you things and telling you things. And Paul says all of those voices can be well-intentioned, but they can also be completely wrong. He says these agitators who are already in your ear, directing you to your own works along with the works of Jesus, he says this isn't an either-or situation. It's it's not both-and. This is an either-or situation. You either... Add to Jesus, and it's not Jesus, or you don't add to Jesus. And if there's a voice in your ear adding to Jesus, then here's what you need to do with that voice. Give them to the wrath of God. We talked about that earlier. It means tell them to go to H-E double hockey sticks, right? I'm a little uncomfortable saying it, but Paul's not. Tell them to go to hell. Give them to the wrath of God. He goes further. He says, if we show up as apostles, if we show up, the people who taught you the gospel in the first place, and we start preaching something different than what we preached to you in the first place, which was Jesus plus nothing. Say that again. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing. If we start teaching something else, give that voice to the wrath of God. Tell them to go to H-E double hockey sticks. I have a hard time saying it, but Paul doesn't. Tell them to go to hell. If an angel shows up, here's what you do. You have this dialogue with the angel. Ask them this question. What's the correct order of the gospel? And if that angel says, 
anything other than you are made right by Jesus so that you can do right, then give them over to divine wrath. Tell them to go to H-E double hockey sticks. I have a hard time saying it, but Paul doesn't. Tell them to go to hell. Now, what I notice about that is there are an awful lot of people headed for hell here. And they're not the typical suspects. Man, if you, if you have a sermon on hell, I mean, you want to point out the murderers and the rapists and, you know, just the nasty people, the dregs of society. That's not who this letter is written to. These are church people. These are good people. These are people who are doing the right thing. But they're not lining up with the gospel because they're relying on their own goodness to be right with God. Paul says, that's twisted. That's backwards. What he does here is just a basic discussion on how do you know what you know. There are basically three ways that you know what you know. The first two are tradition and experience. We know what we know because of family and culture and surroundings and schooling and friends and history and books and learning and sermons and Google and Wikipedia and all of that could be tradition. We also know what we know in life because of our experience, the things that happen to us. I know about baseball, uh, not because I read a book or a friend told me or a teacher taught me. I mean, those things might be true, but I know about baseball mainly because I played it. I didn't play it very well or very long, but I know about it because of my experience. I played, right? We learn through our experience. And angels showing up would definitely be on the experiences side of life. And Paul is saying here, if you follow that voice of tradition, the voices around you, and if you follow the the voice of experience and you follow those voices to the point that it takes you away from the gospel, then the end result is divine wrath because you're adding something to the gospel, which is Jesus plus nothing, which means you're not lining up with it. And you've walked away from the only thing that could put you right with God. You're lost. And this message is so strong that Paul repeats his words Word for word. He says it twice. Let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. I don't know of too many verses that are repeated in the Bible word for word, back to back, but right here is one of them. And we better pay attention to that. And Paul's message at the end of the day is this. No other voice, no other voice in this world gets to change the gospel. We could say it this way. Not tradition, The Bible judges the church. The church doesn't get to judge the Bible. And if we're out there and we bump up against culture because we're living the way the Bible tells us to live and that means we're rubbing up against culture the wrong way, then we're okay. But if it's the opposite and we are bumping up against the Bible because we're listening to what the culture is telling us and we're living the way the culture is telling us to live and we're bumping up against the Bible, we're out of step. That's twisted. He says, experience. We don't judge the Bible by our personal experiences or feelings. We judge our experiences and our feelings by the Bible. And I got to spend a little time on this one because this is the clearest place in the Bible that we get this kind of message. And it's time to put on your steel-toed shoes, okay? Your experience, the things that happen to you in life, the feelings that you have, the sense of what God might be saying to you, Listen to me carefully. They mean nothing 
if they don't align with what God has already said in the gospel. Uh, Over the years, I've had a lot of conversations with people who've had amazing experiences. I mean, uh, we're talking about, you know, seeing things in dreams and talking to Jesus and you know, seeing lights at the end of the tunnel and all that good stuff, and, or things that happen in everyday life, but when you put two and two together, it can't be coincidence. God had to be orchestrating these events. People have amazing experiences, and they've shared those with me. And the thing is, uh, there's no problem with the experience. Oh, that's awesome. Man, Jesus talked to you in a dream? Awesome. I wish you'd talk to me in a dream. But it's always the interpretation of what that means that's the problem. Without fail, somebody who's had an experience like that will say, you know what, I must be right with God because He appeared to me. I must be right with God because He's putting all of these things, He's orchestrating them in my life. I must be right with God because I've had this experience. Let me borrow a word from Paul here. I'm astonished at that. Why do you think that that would be true? Listen, if anybody knows about an experience, it was Paul. Do you remember the experience he had? He's on a road. He's going to kill Christians. He gets struck down by a bright light. He's blinded. And in that blind state, in that light, Jesus himself speaks to Paul one-on-one. And out of that experience, what did Paul conclude? Oh, I must be right with Jesus. (laughs) It's exactly the opposite. Paul was directed to what he had to do. He was directed to Ananias in Damascus, who told him to repent and be baptized, call on his name, be baptized. What are you waiting for? It's the verse right over here. Experiences aren't the gospel. Experiences aren't don't save us. Can those things be helpful? Absolutely. Can they lead you to Jesus? Absolutely. That's what they're for. They're they're the signposts. So follow them to Jesus. But if they don't lead you there, if they lead you to somewhere other than Jesus plus nothing, Paul says, pack them up, send them out, give them to divine wrath, tell them to go to H-E double hockey sticks. I'm a little uncomfortable saying it, but Paul's not. Tell them to go to hell. While we're here, I just can't help but just point out something pretty obvious. When we're talking about angels talking to people, do you realize that two of the world's biggest, twisted, reversed gospels were started when an angel showed up to some guy? One of them was in his backyard, and the angel said, start digging, and he did. One of them was in a cave, and the angel said, here, here's a new revelation, and he wrote it down. And both of those events happened centuries after Paul writes these words. It's like he knew what was coming. The very story of the gospel is at stake, and it still is. And so what can be, what can be done I mean, if an angel shows up, what, who do I listen to? Here's, here's the easy answer. Listen to the right voice. Listen to the right voice. Verse 6 says, there's a voice that called you 
into His grace. It is crucial that we're careful about who we let in our ears so the right voice can be heard. That's what can be done. Look at verse 12. Paul says, I received this voice, this revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the only other way that we know what we know in life. I told you there were three. I just gave you two, tradition and experience. The third one is revelation. That's how we can know what we know in life. If some entity outside of our world leans into it and starts speaking, that's revelation. And only God can do this. And Paul gets this revelation. And his life before looks like one of extreme effort to try to please God. His life after looks like one of grace. What makes the difference? It's the revelation of God. It's the voice that he listens to. The difference is always the voice that we give an ear to. I don't have to tell you that um, marriages can be really good or really bad. Uh, One person has said it this way, marriages can be masters or they can be disasters. Some of us know that's true. And what makes the difference between the two? It's always the voice. Throughout a normal day, married people will sometimes unconsciously make requests for connection. Let me explain it this way. Maybe the husband has set up a bird feeder in the backyard. And he's all excited about the bird feeder because he's into watching birds. And he's at the back window and he looks and he sees a beautiful bird fly across and land at that bird feeder. And he says, with his wife in earshot, he just says out loud, Oh my goodness, look! There's a yellow-bellied, three-toed, purple-beaked fingle-fangle at the bird feeder. I, I don't watch birds. I don't know what they're called. Okay. What's he doing? He's not commenting just on the bird. What he's doing is he's requesting a response from his wife. And that response can either be one of interest and support. That's what he's hoping, even if he doesn't realize it. And even if it's over a stupid bird in the backyard. And the wife now has a choice. She can either turn towards his voice or turn away from it. And that little interaction that happens every day, all the time with married people, may seem like a minor thing, but it reveals a ton about the health of a marriage. She could say, oh my goodness, that's a pretty purple-beaked fingle-fangle. Are they native to South America? Is that what you told me? She could respond that way. Or she could respond this way. Birds again? Really? Are you just making the names up now? Is that what you're doing? Or, worse yet, silence. Those little interactions have profound effects. Studies were done, and couples who were headed for divorce turned away from the voice of their partner 66% of the time. In healthy marriages, in marriages that were very happy, and divorce was nowhere in the future, Spouses turn towards each other nine out of ten times throughout the day, even if they didn't realize what they were doing. Happily married people are that way for a reason, because they listen, they respond to the right voice. They meet the the emotional needs of their partner by 
responding to that voice. The voices we listen to influence our thoughts and they always determine our actions. And there is a voice in the life of a Christian. A voice who says, I've called you into grace. I've called you into not not just an idea, not a religion, not a philosophical discussion. I've called you into a relationship. I'm calling you into a restorative place before God where you can be seen as holy and righteous. Will you listen to that? Turn into the voice of Him who called you by His grace. Some around you will shrug it off. There are voices around you who will ignore it. There are voices that will mock it. But for a Christian, the safe bet is to turn into it. Paul chooses in verse 10, this is very interesting, to be a servant of Jesus Christ. That's a wise thing. Here's the reason. If you choose to be a slave to Jesus, then you'll never be a slave to the voices that are out there. They'll never come in and twist you up. They'll never take how we're made right with God and throw it into reverse. That will never be allowed. Those voices, it won't matter what they upvote, what they downvote, what they like, what they unlike. It won't matter what they approve or what they condemn. Because you will be free of them by being a slave to the only voice that matters. How will you respond today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this voice in our life that always calls us into grace. It doesn't call us to prove ourselves. It doesn't call us to be good enough. It doesn't call us to measure up to keep jumping higher. This voice says, I have measured up for you in your place. And the voice of our Savior calls us. Father, would you help us, as Paul implores us here today, to respond to that voice, to turn into it, to be a slave to the only voice that will give freedom, that will give us acceptance and give us life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.